0: One one point nine FM, So to soul, on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kedish, Parshas told us, tough, shin, pay, pays. We are already in the month of Kislev. Yes, Rosh Chodesh is today. I hope you enjoyed it. That's something special to eat in honor of Rosh Chodesh. And we go from Rosh Chodesh straight into a Shabbos. Of course, if it's already Kislev, that means that Hanukkah is just over three weeks away, something to get excited about, something to look forward to, in case you're not looking forward to the next day, and the next hour, which of course, ideally a person should live on a level where he looks forward to every part of his life, but if you need a highlight, Hanukkah is on the way, and a very, very warm welcome to our entire radio family, thank you so, so much for making the time, for joining us to hopefully, hopefully we will live up to our our ideal and and a, a little bit inspire you, give you a bit of information, give you a bit of a, uh, a inspiration, and get you ready for this coming Shabbos. And Bez Hashem, that inspiration that you get that is enforced by the Shabbos will carry you through the entire week, because that's what Shabbos is. Shabbos is the Koira is the source of all the blessing for one's entire week. And of course, each Shabbos adds on each other and becomes the source of blessing for one's entire, entire life. So let's talk briefly about the Parsha. The very first passage of, of the Parsha says, Ele told this Yitzchak ben Avram." these are the generations or the children of Yitzchak ben Avram. Avram had this Yitzchak. Avram begot Yitzchak. Now, the Torah almost underscores that Avram and Yitzchak were father and son. And one would think that this is almost a, a confirmed verity and doesn't require the Torah's reinforcement. Apparently, Rashi, in fact, quotes the Midrash Tan that the late Sonny Hadar, the cynics of the generation, intimated that Sarimenu actually had become pregnant during her short Captivity in the home of Avimelech, so that Avram Avinu had not fathered Yitzchak, but actually Avimelech had fathered him. Therefore, Hashem made Yitzchak's features so undeniably similar to Avram's that no one could doubt Avram's status. Now, two questions, kind of glaring: Why would these scoffers refer to? as Late Sunim cynics, they were actually out and out Rashim. They were wicked people to make such as, such aspirations. Second, what is the meaning of the uh, uh, comment Late hador cynics of the generation? If there was simply Late Sunim who degraded Avram, it would be sufficiently evil. Why must they be then called the cynics of the generation? So, Moshe Feinstein learns from the first question that a cynic is worse than someone who is wicked because one is able to maintain an intelligent dialogue with a wicked person and even perhaps transform him by inspiring him. The wicked person listens. The cynic is much worse. He degrades everyone, makes a joke of everything. As Av. explains, the let is not machshiv, does not consider anyone or anything to be worthy of himself. It's impossible to achieve anything in a conversation with someone who's... Almost condescending attitude is the product of a completely twisted and jaundiced view, view of, of life. The cynic thinks that he is smart, but by his very actions shows otherwise. He lives a life of self-imposed almost blindness, negativity, with a driving desire to pull everyone else down. Into his abyss of acrimony and fighting. With regard to the second question, why they were called Hador, the scoffers of the generation, so their goal was not simply to just debase Avram, but everything for which he stood and represented. Chazal speak about ten generations from Odom to Naach, followed by ten generations. From Noyah to Avrome, our, our patriarch Avrome was on the verge of changing the entire downward trajectory of the, of the previous 20 generations. These cynics sought to impede his ability to do so. They sought to employ their cynicism to maintain the downward trend of a generation's. Avram calling out in the name of Hashem, reaching out to the world to proclaim his glory, interfered with all of their nefarious success, and therefore they were like tzadim of the door. They were the ones who wanted to change literally the course of history. This is one one point nine high FM, soul to soul. Back on the radio in a moment with so so much more. This is Hilchot Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Shnurg, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 one High FM. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh Pashas told us in the year Shin, Pei Beis 5782 as you prepare for another amazing Shabbos Kodesh. Shabbos as the days are getting longer, more and more time can be put into studying, into learning, into enriching ourselves about the Pasha, about the beauty of, of Torah. And in this week's Pasha there's so much. But one of the very big issues we actually see is the first bar mitzvah in depicted history takes place in this week's parsha. by Anorim the boys grew up, Yaakov and Esav reached Maturity reached Bar Mitzvah. And as we'll see, that was when they began to show the differences in their, in their personality. In fact, the Medrash says, the boys grew up, Rav Levi Omar, Rav Levi says, Mashal, it can be compared to a myrtle, very good smelling thing. The atzbonit, and some kind of nasty-smelling kind of weed, they were growing right next to each other. The Once they grew mature and began to flower, the hadas would give off its beautiful scent, and this one gave off its, its stench. Cain, so too, while there were kids, while they were in primary school until the bar mitzvah, they all, both Yaakov and Esau, went to school every day, and they would come home. They each carrying their their tick, their their book bag with them, and they'd come home and they do the homework and have their snack. And it was very, very difficult to tell that there was any substantive difference. Between Yaakov and Esav. But, La'acha Yuddi once they turned Bar Mitzvah, and we know Bar Mitzvah, Pen and hay, look at it, is either the beginning of one's growth projectile in Yiddishkeit or it's a goodbye party. You know, we do our course, we, we learn our, our, our reading, we maybe do a Barmi course, and then, that's it. So after 13, <inaudible> Yaakov Avinu continued to visit on a consistent basis the study halls. <inaudible> and this one went off to wherever he wanted to, to the theaters, to the places of idol worship, etc. Says Rabbi Lazar, A person has to look after and supervise, and put a lot of energy, into his child, until he's 13 years old, from there on, he has to say, and we know, this is the quote of what, a father says when his child, turns by mitzvah, bless me, who has now exempted me, for being punished, on behalf of the action, or, 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 or on, on because of the actions of my of my son. Now, in trying to explain the actual language of this bracha, shepe torani that Hashem has exempted me from the punishment of this child, so we actually find two different explanations, as one is brought by the Magin Avram. In resh, chof, hey, and, hey. and he says, what does it mean? That until now, until the child 13, the father would be punished when the child did something wrong because it must be the father's fault because the father did not properly educate him. And the Levush, however, he explains the other way around that until now, the son would be punished for the sins of the father. Two totally opposite explanations. So one explanation is that until Bar the father was responsible for the, for the, for the son's sins and now that changed. And Lavush says exactly opposite. Until now the son was responsible for the father's sins and now he was going to be let off the hook and no longer be responsible now this obviously the the uh, both of them are difficult, according to the opinion of the modern of Rome. We need to understand because surely a child under Bar Mitzvah is not yet in his full intellect he doesn 't fully understand things and therefore his his miscues cannot be really considered acts of, of of revolution acts of acting out against hashem that that uh that one would need to be punished for it so why should the father be punished for the clearly uh, uh uh yes misdirected but certainly not heinous and, and 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 acts of revolt against hashem why should the father be punished for that there's a fascinating gemara in Yevomis, Daf Yudalit, which discusses the whole topic of can one allow a child young child to do things that are clearly against the torah to eat perhaps food that's not kosher or or break or break shabbos so the discussion whether you're allowed to let him do it but certainly and this is also passing in the Shulchan Aruch, you're not allowed to uh, kind of bring a child cause a child to violate any prohibition whether it be a biblical prohibition or a rabbinic prohibition You're not allowed to yourself sort of feed him or give him something that's going to cause him to violate that, that prohibition. What, what's the concept here? So the Tumas Adeshan explains the fact that the Pasuk says that the Torah forbids us not to supply a child with our hands. So the, the, he says that the reason is that the Toyota was very, very adamant not to get a child used to doing things that are against the Toyota because if he gets used to it when he's a young child, then when he will get older, he'll want to carry on continuing doing the same activities. So we see that when a, a child, under my mitzvah, child, gets involved in doing an Aveira, a prohibition. So as far as the Avera itself is concerned, that doesn't necessarily do any damage. It doesn't create a, a lifelong blemish. But we do worry that maybe that's going to create already an attraction, perhaps even an addiction, in the child to do the Avera, and he'll continue doing it after he's an adult, and then, of course, he'll be violating a a a a prohibition. So, therefore, the way the Machanavraham is saying, the punishment that a father gets for the sins of his minor son is not because the actual avera that he's done is so terrible, but because by allowing his child to become accustomed. And to get used to and to become a habit, habitual kind of sinner. So that might continue when he becomes an adult, and that would be the father's, the father's fault. Father would be guilty for that. And therefore, once the child becomes already bar mitzvah, now there's no longer any education, and now the father will no longer be punished for the sins of his uh, of his of his child. However, the second explanation, which the Machan brings in the name of the Lavush, that what was the intention of the bracha Baruch She'per Trani, was that until now the father would be punished. For the sins, sorry, the son would be fought, punished for the sins of the father. And the source for that is actually a, a, a medrash. And until 13 years old, a child can be punished, can be smitten for the sin of the father. And based on what the levush is saying, it becomes very, very difficult. Why does the father need to say this bracha on the contrary the child should then say the bracha and not and not the father it's a good question we're going to leave that as a question and come back and deal with it after the break this is one one point nine fm the program is soul to soul and we're just getting warmed up to stay with us this is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurr, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 one High FM, this is Sol to Sol, back on the radio, Erev Shabbos Pash has told us, Tough shim, we're in the middle of discussing a very interesting question. We know that when a child uh turns Bar Mitzvah, so there's a special bracha, that is said, Blessed be Hashem, who now exempts me from the punishment of this person. Now, we, we raised in the previous segment a question, who actually says this bracha? According to the Magnavram, it's the father who until the child is by mitzvah is responsible for the sins of the son and therefore would be punished for them which we explained that it's a question of stopping him from developing bad habits. And therefore it makes sense that the father should be the one who says the bracha. However, the lavush learns that until by mitzvah, it's the child who is liable to be punished for the sins of his father. If that's so, then really it's perhaps the child who should be saying, this bracha. And in fact, there is a discussion actually about who says the bracha. And, and it works out that if you accept the reason of the of Avram <coughs> then it will be the father who says the bracha and if you accept the reason of the lavush then in fact it is the son who should actually be making the, the bracha. Now the Rama brings down in our in Simei Reish Hafei, that when someone, when a child, when someone's son becomes bar mitzvah, he makes the bracha and he says, actually, in the, in the Ramah, he brings it with Hashem's name. Baruch Ata Hashem Laken Melacholam Shepotranim Me'Ein who now exempts me from the punishment of of this one. However, the Ramah concludes and says, however, the custom is to make this bracha without Hashem's name, just Baruch without Hashem Lekeim, without Hashem, Hashem's Hashem's name and the reason is in fact he brings in the in the Washe, it's, it says it's very difficult for me that they should actually say this as a bracha where we don't find such a bracha mentioned at all in the Gemara or in any of the halachic authorities in fact, the, the Ben Yishchai brings that perhaps the father should think in his mind the name of Hashem but Shem Lokenu Melech in his heart but he should not say it out, out loud. However, the, the Goin, argues on the Roman. He says that since this Bracha is mentioned in the Medrash and we know the great Posek, the Maril, did have such a minute of, of, of saying that when his son became a Bar Mitzvah, he said the entire Bracha, therefore says the going one should say it with Hashem's name, and he says that is actually the, the fundamental explanation. And in fact, the, the Megala Mukesh, also, after he brings the opinion of the, the Majrish, he brings, even though the Ramah, uh, uh, says not to say with Hashem's name, says the, says the, uh, uh I, I'm not, uh, I don't agree with him on this, on this Psakh, because we find in the Majrish that, uh, there was a, 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 there is, it does mention this bracha, with with Hashem's with Hashem's name. And therefore he says you can rely on that and say with Hashem's name. Now according to this opinion that says you should actually say it as a proper Bracha. So how could now comes the question You're saying that the, the, the father is now exempt from the for the from the punishment for the child's sins because he's now an adult. And the question is, how can the father make a bracha, a, 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 a verifying that the child is now an adult and no longer is liable for sins, because there's a concept that what is adulthood? Adulthood is physical maturity. That uh, that uh, um, in in a situation, what what physical maturity? When it's when a child begins to uh, develop. A body, body here, and until we know that, we will not allow a child to do on behalf of the of the community a a mitzvah that is a Torah mitzvah, as is brought by many of the of the of the paiskim So there is an idea that once a child turns thirteen, there's a what we call a chazaka. There's a likelihood that he probably has some body here, and therefore we can consider him an adult. But that only works in terms of allowing him to perform mitzvot that are sourced from the rabbis, midrach, But for things that are sourced from the Torah, there we can't rely on a chazak. We can't rely on a possibility or probability. We have to know for sure. And therefore, how could the father Make a bracha when the child turns thirteen, without knowing for certain that the child is actually a physical adult. So, it's uh, it's brought that uh, uh, in one of the in one of the uh, tshuva sefers it says a very interesting chiddush again regarding the twins Yaakov and Esav, because we all know. That Esau was the older one. He came out first. But the, the, uh, the, uh, Gemara discusses in, in Yavamis that when it comes there, they were talking about the mitzvah of Yibum, of leveret marriages where a, a man is married to a woman and the man dies. There's a mitzvah for his brother he's single, to take on this woman and marry her and carry on the family name. And the halacha is that the priority goes to the oldest brother to do Yibo. But if a younger one sort of jumped in and and takes the opportunity of doing the mitzvah, it's fine. He, he, he He can do the mitzvah. And a very interesting question is brought so we said the oldest child should do Yivah so what about the following situation we have a year that was a leap year and there were two twins that was born however one was born on the last day of the first Adar in other words the 30th of Adarishan. Took a little while till the second one was born. By the time he was born, it was already now the first of Shani. So obviously, the the older one was born first. However, thirteen years later, when they have the bar mitzvah, that turns out to be a year where there's only one Adar. So what's going to happen? The so-called younger one who was born on Aleph Adar Sheni, he will have his Bar Mitzvah on Aleph Adar and the younger one who was born on Lamed Adar he'll actually have his Bar Mitzvah because there is no Lamed Adar and there is one one Adar he'll have his, his Bar Mitzvah a month later on the first of Nisan so although the One child, the older child, came out of the womb first, but the other child is going to have his bar mitzvah first. And therefore, it is paskant that in terms of yibum, he would be considered the older child, and he would get first rights to the yibum. Also, in terms of, there's a law that a younger brother has to show uh, honor and deference to an older brother, or to an older brother, and the word S includes an older brother, that the brother who was actually born first would have to show honor to the second child because the other child became an adult a whole month before him, and therefore, in reality, he has to show honor to him. And it's actually suggested that, in fact, maybe in the situation of Yaakov and Esau, maybe that could be exactly what happened. That uh, uh, maybe Yaakov was born on the Sorry, Esau was born on the thirtieth day of Adar. Yaakov was born a bit later on the first of Adar Sheni, and therefore, although Esau came out first, but Yaakov would actually have been considered the one who was due honor because he he became by mitzvah a whole month before his his uh, his brother, and therefore the the obligation. Of showing honor would have been from Esav to Yaakov That's one possibility. However, in in the of Jacob Raisha, in in Shvus he argues on this, and he says, he says, in uh, our countries, in Spain, where we don't accept, he says, the institution of Rabbeinu Geshem. And you could have a situation where one man was married to two women. And let's say he had two sons in a One was uh, uh, in the end of Adarishan. And the second was in the first of Adarsheni. So he says that as far as the bar mitzvah in their 13th year, which is not a that the one who was born later, one who was born on the first of Adar, so he becomes a, an adult right away on the first of the month. And the one who was later, was born in Adarishan, he will not become Bar Mitzvah until the whatever date in Adarishan that he was, that he was born. However, in terms of the legality, of who is the Bukhar, i.e. who would have the, the pr- prior obligation to the Yibam, he says we go after the one who's born first. The one who's born first is the Bukhar and he would get, he would get first, he would get first right. So, and he says therefore, so he says who is considered the elder brother, the one who's actually born, born uh, first. And, and as far as honor would be concerned, that would be the same, the same thing, that the, bro, the, the brother who was born second would then have to honor the brother who was, was, uh, who was born first. And he in fact argues on the Baal Hilchas Ketanus, who says that the one who was, has his bat Mitzvah first is considered the elder. And it's actually quite difficult. Understands that opinion. Why should it be that the person who becomes bar mitzvah first should be considered the the uh, the elder the elder child? So they bring there that when a child becomes bar mitzvah, that is where he receives the infusion of the yetsa where intelligence comes to a person. And we know that someone who's not yet bar mitzvah doesn't have that degree of maturity of intelligence, and therefore, we know that a person only does an Aveira if he suffers a temporary a- insanity. In other words, the etzahara controls and and dominates him, and uh, and and uh, kind of cancels out the the etzahtoiv. And therefore, the person is considered uh, uh, responsible for allowing that to to happen. And therefore, we can perhaps understand what why the Elchaz Kitana says that the one who has Mitzvah first is is the uh, is is the Bukhar. because his in his understanding is who gets his Yetzer Hata'iv first, who gets Das, who gets. A level of intelligence and maturity first. That's not dependent in 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 a physical maturity. That's dependent on when you become Bar mitzvah. That happens automatically. Therefore, the one who had his Bar mitzvah first should be the older the older child. And therefore, we can understand comebacks will be started. How you could make a bracha even with Hashem's name when a child turns 13 years old and one day, it's not dependent at all on the physical maturity. It's dependent on the fact that he now is a mature person who now is able to make free choice. He has now a Yetzir HaTayv and he merits that on the day that he enters into his 13th year, even without any kind of physical physical maturity. So therefore, comes out that there are actually two definitions of adulthood. One is a maturity of mind and one is a maturity of, of body. And it could be that that takes place at two very different different times. And therefore, since there are these two different types of adulthood, one of A a physical adulthood, and that depends on obviously the ability to begot a a child. As the Gemara in Sanhedrin says, that an adult is considered someone who's able to begot a a child, and it's actually uh uh based on a uh on a pasuk that says Kiyozid ish, and he said ish. Is is amazing that a man is, is able to, so to speak, produce produce uh, 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 sperm, and a child is not is not able to 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 do so. Now that kind of physical maturity begins with with uh, physical hairs on the uh, on the body that that testify about the ability of a child or, or the girl to 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 give birth. And similarly, we find that, uh, we have this concept of, uh, that the physical, uh, 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 growth is dependent in, in that, in that, in that ability. But on the other hand, we find that there's a, a whole sugya in the Gemara in, in Nida, that the concept of adulthood is dependent specifically on the maturity of of the mind on his on the hokhma on the understanding of of the child and it 's brought there that a a girl who's twelve years old she becomes a uh, a bas mitzvah right she 's obligated in all the mitzvahs earlier than a a boy who only becomes a bar mitzvah when he 's thirteen years old. Why is that because Hashem Baruch Hu has given women bina yisera an extra degree of understanding more than what a man has, and therefore they reach this kind of maturity of the mind earlier than a boy does. So there's this whole new concept of what adulthood is. Besides the physical adulthood, there's also the concept of of the of growing of of the mind, and the, therefore that actually creates a a variance in the halacha, i.e., the physical maturity is dependent on on body hair, and the and the <coughs> the the mental maturity is dependent solely on thir, being thirteen or twelve years old. Alone, and not anything to do with the body, because it's dependent completely on the etzatoyv entering entering the person. Now, when therefore, when it comes to mitzvahs which are sourced in the Torah, so therefore, the the adulthood of a child, whether he's considered an adult or not, that depends on on physical maturity, but there are certain halachas which are dependent on maturity that are dependent totally on 13 years old, even in a situation where he hasn't brought any, any, anybody, body here. And that's dependent on, on, on the mental maturity. For instance, the Ushami brings that a 13 year old child would be allowed to be a judge. In the bed, even if he has not uh, uh, sprouted any body hairs, and the fact that Shulchan Aruch brings that, and this halacha obviously is difficult to understand, because we learned in in a Mishnah, the Mishnah Nida says that anyone who is kosher to be judged is also sorry to uh, 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 to, to anyone who is uh, allowed to be a judge. Is also allowed to testify, and we know that a child who has not yet achieved physical maturity is not allowed to be a uh, a witness, because the Torah says the witnesses have to be men, and we say ish a, a a man and not a uh, a, a child. Why right? we're not allowed to? Allow a a child to testify if he doesn't have physical maturity, so then how could he be a judge if being a judge and being a witness are depend one on the other, and we said that you cannot be a witness until you have physical maturity? How could it be that you could be a judge just by turning thirteen years old so the the uh the smile explains. The reason is that even though that as far as witnesses concerned, we need physical maturity, a judge is different. Because to be a judge depends on your level of knowledge, on your expertise in the law. And while someone who's under 13 years old, we will not allow to be a judge because in no realm has he reached adulthood. But once he's 13, if he's able to handle the scope of, of judgment, we're going to allow him to be to be a, a a a judge. And therefore we have these two opinions, who says borrow Trani, and a bit of a discussion as to uh, what is actually uh, uh adulthood. We'll be back in a moment this is 101.9 chai fm. The program is soul to soul. Stay tuned for our segment on Hilchos Shabbos. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on one oh one point nine High Fm nine Chayef, and the program is Soul to Soul. This is Erev Shabbos, Kedish Pashas, told us, tough Shin, Pei, Beis, Reish, Chaydesh, Kislev. As we said, Chaneke is coming right up, and a warm welcome to those of you who may have just joined us, as we always do at this point on the show, just to give you the very important times you need to know so you can navigate getting ready for this Shabbos, the earliest time for benching lit, for guiding your Shabbos candles. Today is at five minutes past five. That's the very earliest you can do it, but do it then. Get the Shabbos up and going as soon as, as possible, even while it's still light outside, even while others are running around, still getting ready. Ah, we're going to be able to sit back and relax and usher in the Shabbos, sitting down calmly, in a relaxed way, what a beautiful, beautiful way, what a beautiful way to honor, the Shabbos Malka, the Shabbos Queen, and just be ready, and be reposed, and be sitting, and be sitting with a, with a, with a, with a Chumash, or or or, or some kind of, or, or even just, with one's own thoughts, but just to sort of calm down, or to use a modern ponds just to chill yourself and get ready to sink into the beautiful, beautiful atmosphere and the relaxing and, and luxurious atmosphere of, of, of Shabbos Shabbos Kradish. The latest time for benching lich today is at nine minutes past six. Six oh nine is the very latest time for lighting your candles. Make sure you're ready and set up for Shabbos by By then we should be, you know, we've had so much extra time, you know, if you think about the fact that um, barely three months ago, Shabbos was at 5.09, and now we have this whole extra hour, that should make it easy peasy for us to get all ready for for Shabbos on on, on time, but yes, I know you're smirking to yourself and saying, well, I don't know, Rabbi, somehow it doesn't seem to work that way, and I know. I know everything seems to expand to meet the available time, and things that you can do in two hours on a short Friday will always take three hours or sometimes even four hours on a on a longer on a longer Friday. So the latest I can line time is six oh nine Shkia Then is at twenty seven minutes past six o'clock, and that's absolute injury time. Unless you're really really stuck on a highway somewhere, you shouldn't even need to know that time we accept six or nine as the absolute end of time for us doing melacha and ushering the the uh the Shavas therefore, if you want to uh, be able to say the Krishna at night without having to repeat it later if you davan May of any time after about quarter to seven you're fine you can say Krishna and not have to repeat it. And then, as always, just with the family, just sit down and sing a Shalom Aleichem and welcome in the beautiful angels of Shabbos, and sit and have a amazing repast that was prepared with so much dedication and so much love, right? In, 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 in your own in your own kitchen, or maybe in someone else's kitchen, doesn't doesn't make a difference. Tomorrow, as as we said, Shabbos Koydish Pasha's told us what an exciting and and, and uh, amazing Pasha told us is with the whole intrigue of Yaakov and and uh, and and, Esav. and the Haftarah of course is the normal Haftarah for Parsha's told us, which is the beginning of the book of Malachi. Very very powerful words of of, of, of rebuke that the uh, the the Navi the Navi gives us gives us there. And from that we settle down to a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at 7.01, one minute past seven o'clock. It's already after seven. Wow. Can you believe it? And then we settle into a beautiful, beautiful week, right? One week, uh, closer to the Chag of, of Hanukkah. We are busy with the laws of Shabbos. So we spoke extensively last week about the obligation for a person to set aside time on Shabbos to learn Torah. Those who are unfortunately busy the whole week with their work and, and uh, all sorts of other millions of things. So then it's absolutely imperative to spend the maximum amount of time one can learning Torah on, on Shabbos, even just to sort of make up for the time not utilized during, during, uh, during the weekend, for those who Baruch Hashem merit to sit the whole weekend and learn Torah, so they they're allowed a little bit of of a of, of, of a rest. But the counterbalance for this, of course, is that included amongst the mitzvahs of Einik Shabbos of the pleasurable enjoyment of Shabbos is to have a good schlaf, to sleep generously and 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 have a really really good rest in fact the the Gemara says that shana Shabbos tana in fact the word shabbos right is shin self shana Shabbos tana sleeping on shabbos is part of the joy is part of the enjoyment on on shabbos however at the same time it's not correct for a person either to sleep on Shabbos so that he can work on Mitzvah Shabbos, because then you're really just turning Shabbos into a, uh, a a a convenience time to prepare you for for the weekday. That's not what Shabbos is for. In fact, preparation for for any time after Shabbos is actually not allowed on on Shabbos. Similarly one shouldn't sleep on Shabbos even to be able to learn Torah on my Shabbos because again, you are then wasting the very, very precious and holy hours of of Shabbos because the learning of Torah on Shabbos is considered much, 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 much more much, much, much more, much, much more uh, 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 valuable in Shemayim than even the Torah that's lost that's, that's learnt during, during the, uh, during, during the week. Lord Chayyim, in fact, uh, 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 brings that in, in his, uh, in his introduction to, to Sefer, to Sefer Shemais. That, uh, he brings the name of the, of the Makubalim, that the learning Torah on, on Shabbos is one thousand times more effective. It can accomplish a thousand times more even than Lima's during the, the, uh, the, the week. And therefore, one should utilize the time on Shabbos. Sim- similarly, it's correct for a person to put extra time into his work on, let's say, Thursday and Friday with the sole intention that, you know, I'm gonna work really late on Friday, work, so that I, I'll make up the sleep on, on, uh, on, on, on Shabbos. Yeah, you know, whatever, whatever I don't sleep on Thursday night because I'm busy working overtime, I'll make it up on Shabbos. On the contrary, it's actually a, a mitzvah to prepare during the week for Shabbos. That even during the week to, number one, prepare, as we know, the food for Shabbos. And to clean, to clean the house and to launder all the clothing and, and of course to have a, a bath before Shabbos. And, and certainly that included as part of the preparations for Shabbos is to get to Shabbos refreshed and, 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 uh, excited and calm and not all, not completely, completely exhausted so that we can actually focus and concentrate. On, on our learning and actually also just be a person, you know, you don't want one of those people that ends up on Shabbos morning where everyone thinking you're drunk because your nose is red because it actually, as you were falling asleep, it fell in the soup and, uh, and got a little bit, uh, tzibrent. But, uh, 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 you know, we want to be able to enjoy the Shabbos and, and be there, be present on, on Shabbos. We want to be able to, to, concentrate properly when we when we're davening and to enjoy the suitors and enjoy the family properly and it's only very very last resort very bit the in a situation where there's something that actually happens beyond one's control at uh, at, at all and and okay there was so, for some reason you had to work overtime or more than normal on, on let's say Thursday and Friday until he gets to the point where he, he arrives at Shabbos, uh, attire. That has to be the exception rather than the, than the, than the, uh, than the rule. And yes, you can make up for lost sleep on, on Shabbos, but one is not allowed to plan for that, uh, uh, from, from before. From before, from before Shabbos, and in fact, when when uh, when we say that sleeping on Shabbos is part of the oinig of Shabbos, what it means is that if a person usually sleeps, let's say, every night he sleeps seven hours, so then on Shabbos you could have maybe an eight-hour sleep, so that uh, he could be more relaxed and more refreshed on 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 Shabbos, but. It doesn't mean to, that it should be a, 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 a oh, to sleep a, a, uh, you know, what do they call it? A donut, 12 hours or that Shabbos to become like the slave of, uh, of, of, of weekday that you should use Shabbos to just make up for all the hours of sleep that you're missing in, in, uh, in, in, in the, from, from the week we'll be back with some closing comments in a moment this is 101.9 the program is sold to Soul on Chai FM and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa this is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb only on 101.9 High FM 101.9 Kaifam So Back on the We Shabbos Kurdish. Bashas told us, We're here with our very, very last segment. We're talking about the best subject, sleeping on Shabbos. What about sleeping on Shabbos afternoon? So, you there there are various, uh, different minhagim. The Rambam brings down that the minig of tzaddikim was that they would get up early Shabbos morning, Davin, Shachris and Musuf have their second meal at home, go back to the of Medrash to learn straight through until late afternoon, Davin and Mincha have Shalashudas until Shabbos is over. They're all poised on that road, that is, someone usually sleeps in the afternoon, so then you shouldn't just cause it's Shabbos, uh, uh, cancel his sleep because Shabbos is, as you said, it's part of earning Shabbos. But we need to be careful that the, the sleeping time shouldn't be more to the point where you're not able to actually set aside any time for, for learning Torah. Because we already mentioned last week, that at least one has to set aside on Shabbos, we set at least six hours for learning Torah. If so, a person is longer a person sleeps in the afternoon, so he's going to have to then find more time to learn, either on Friday night or early on Shabbos, on Shabbos morning. And you have to figure out how to do that. And one should be careful, therefore, not to overeat. Because when you overeat, we know that creates tremendous, tremendous exhaustion. And, you know, then, and, and then, and then, uh, that's really, you know, to eat too much is not such, so joyous either because, you know, when, when the, the, uh, when you're eating the food, it's very, very delicious. But if you are stuffed, You can barely get up from the table and that creates all a whole new set of problems, including the exhaustion, right? And you just like don't feel good because, you know, the whole, the whole, uh, all your bodily strength is being used now to, to have to digest all these, all these foods. So everything as usual with moderation. Yes, you can have a little bit of everything on the table, but not to over over uh, overeat and and make sure that one has the power the concentration to be able to to focus on 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 his learning or or to have a a, a a a you know a beautiful deep partial conversation with your with your your family and again all in balance not to over not to overeat not to sleep too much so that everything finds the correct balance, the correct amount of time, and that makes for the perfect balance of Einik Shabbos, true pleasure on Shabbos, both in the spiritual and the physical realm. That about is all the time we have this week for our program. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us and being part of our radio family. We look forward to Be'ezus Hashem to be able to spend some time with you again next week talking about perhaps next week's parsha and some other important issues in the meantime we wish you all a good chodesh and afterwards a beautiful beautiful good Shabbos may HaKadosh shower upon you all the blessings for the coming week blessings of of peace of of health of Simchas of, of Nachas of all sorts of blessing and may please God we beseech her too, even this week, to herald the coming of Mashiach Bemher of to each and every one of you, a good Chodesh and a good Shabbos.